Hello and welcome to the Magical Learning Podcast for this week. This week we're talking to Samantha Jung-Fielding about creating better working environments for women. It's an amazing conversation. I think you'll take a lot from it. We all took so much from it. Thank you all for listening again and have a magical week. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Magical Learning Podcast for this week. As you may have noticed by the title of this episode, we do have a guest on who we'll get to shortly. But first, let's check in with our regulars and see how we're going. So let's check in with Graham today. Graham, how have you been going this week? Uh, I've had a good week, Jess. Lots of uh, of travel, a couple of trips to Canberra, a quick trip to Sydney just because I could, and uh, currently still defrosting at home on the veranda. What what temperature are we looking at there, Graham? Do you know? Uh, outside, it's it's probably I don't know nine or ten maybe. Mm. Uh, where I am, it's probably still minus two. <laughs> but I'm well, awake. That's it. Well, hopefully you can stay toasty for the rest of this episode. Fingers crossed for you, Graham. Uh, someone else who's looking a bit rugged up there, John. How are you going this week? Yeah, not rugged up enough, Jez. It's um, I think I need to get my feet are getting cold even though they're in slippers and socks and yeah, something warm would be great, but no, yep. it's been a good week. It's um, upright breathing. That's always handy. Offloading one of the, the only kid that's here in the house at the moment to Sydney for the weekend or for the night. So it'll be good. It'll be nice and quiet. Hmm. Nice. Nice. Well, stay warm there, John. Uh, Alan, how are you going this week? Yeah, I'm going well, Jez, and I've managed to avoid the illness that's been going in our house, but Two of our girls went back to school today, which I'm wondering if that's because if they're not sick today, they get to hang out with their friends on Saturday. (laughs) (laughs) That's some good tactics. Some smart, switched on people there. Love that. I think so. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, also, I'd like to introduce our guest for today, Samantha Jung-Fielding. Samantha, how has your week been? It's been a good week, Jez. Yeah, thank you so much. We live on an alpaca farm in New Zealand. So it's, it's been busy outside because it's a little chilly over here too. And then combining that with the work that I'm doing with clients at the minute, it's been busy. Wow. So there's a lot, there's a lot to, uh, so there's a lot of teaser trailers in there for later in the conversation. I'm sure we'll get to a lot of those interesting details. So thank you for that, Samantha. Uh, excited to hear a bit more from you in a sec. Uh, but first, we've got to do our ML recommendation. Um, so our ML recommendation this week, uh, I was a little bit uh, underprepared this week, so I'll do this one because I've got a good one for this week. I don't know if everybody's seen the film that came out this year, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Uh, it's a great movie. It's a, a bit of a genre bender. It's, a, it's one where someone uh, has all their uh, different personalities from different dimensions can access one body, but it's a bit of a comedy. It's a bit of a sci-fi movie, but it is a really good movie. Uh, so it's something that's a little bit different. It's not like any other movies. It's not a franchise or anything. Uh, it's just a one-off, and it's uh, it's got Jamie Lee Curtis as well in it and stuff, so it's a pretty fun movie. Highly recommend. That's my ML recommendation for this week. All right. With that done, let, it's time to really introduce our guest who, as we've uh, just heard, has now Packer Farm. Uh, has been doing some work with clients. So, Samantha Jungfielding, first of all, thank you so much for being on the ML Podcast. It's so good to have you. We're so excited to have you. Uh, I guess what I wanted to ask, first of all, is for people that may not know much about you, what, who are you? <laughs> well, very interesting question. <laughs> <laughs> my name is Sam, and my business is called Happy Nessence, and I work in the field of corporate culture. 
And so I tend to work with companies who are looking to ensure that there is trust amongst leaders and teams. I'm also a mum of four children. And as we've mentioned on the Alpaca Farm, I raise border collies as well. So it keeps me busy, lots of things to do. That's amazing. Thanks for that, Sam. Uh, now, I you sent through an idea for a topic that we hadn't touched on. I thought it was such a good idea, which was creating better working environments for women. I thought that was such a good idea for a, a topic for us to do, and I'm so glad you suggested it. Um, I was just wondering what uh, in, inspired that uh, that topic for you. What was what what have uh, what brought that on as a good one to do today? Well, for me, a lot of the work that I do is around helping women who have gone through previous trauma and are now in a situation where they're having to actually being triggered through the pandemic, now get back into the work environment and manage what's going on for them privately, along with what's going on for them professionally. So that was really, for me, what it was all about to start with. And I'm really glad that we've actually come together on this, because I think there's a wider issue around how women can be better utilized in the working environment. So I think we've got lots we can chat around. Yeah, it was uh, it was such a good one uh, to suggest and thank you so much. So uh, through the week, the team sent through some questions. So we've got some really good questions for you to uh, get it onto. And I think, why not? Let's get started on them. And we'll do it through. Uh, the first question that got sent through was by Danette, who also is to introduce you to us. So that's exciting. So I think it's a great place to start. Um, so I'm going to ask that one for her today. She is uh, currently unavailable, but... Uh, the first question for you, Sam, is what are some things that organizations can do to create better working environments for women? Alrighty, so I've got three things that I wrote down here because for me, every organization that I'm working with, I'm really wanting them to understand that women are individuals, not just a, a diverse group, but that we're individuals first and foremost. And so in any working space, my biggest piece of advice is around flexibility. When women are managing the burden of family care as well as working professionally, it sometimes isn't taken into account in the contracts that they're offered um, when they come to work. So it's more challenging, not just raising children, but of course the pandemic has brought up the difficulty that if there is something happening with an older member of the family, whether it's the wife or the husband's family, this tends to fall upon the woman. So for me, flexible working spaces are really, really important. And of course, naturally, we've now ended up with hybrid working as an alternative for many businesses who haven't been able to bring all their teams back into the office. Hybrid working can be particularly helpful for women, but I think for everybody, we need to be looking at that flexibility. I think it's really important, but I want to add next to that, that I think the organizational behaviors, the culture really is so important for women. And I believe a caring culture has to be top of the list of what we can do to create better working environments for ladies particularly. Care isn't just about women, it is about everybody. And I really think that there are some difficulties when we have team members who don't recognize the fact that women actually function in a different way to men. And so a lot of the work that I'm doing is around the neuroscience of how women function and how that is impacted by a working environment. Does that help? That's amazing. There was so much great information in that. I loved, 
I the, something that I loved as well that you just mentioned was that uh, the concept of making everything more flexible helps everyone as well. It's not this isn't just do it, fixing one thing; it's making it better for everybody. I love that as well, and I just think there was so much great information in there. So thank you so much for that, Sam. Loved it. Um, I might go to uh, Alan's question now. Al, um, it, what's what was your question, and maybe a little bit about why you asked it as well. Um, hi, Sam. Hiya. Yeah, my question is, yeah, what are some examples of some historically ineffective cycles that we may run? And I guess my reason for asking that is, I think Graham said to me years ago, once we have the awareness, then we can change. Where I see, you know, so many people, including myself, we do the same thing over and over again. Yet when we have that awareness, we can see those patterns, those cycles that we run, then we can actually choose to do something different. It's so true, Alan, it really is. One of the things I talk about a lot when I'm in the field of trauma is the fact that men and women process their trauma differently. So what will happen is that a man, and this is obviously generically speaking, a man will tend to externalize. So men who have had trauma problems in their past will very likely come up with issues around their anger management because a man gets it out. Whereas a woman will internalize and she will focus on the emotions that have been raised by the trauma. So obviously that tends to be sadness. It can be um, the wider version of grief, may go into depression, could be anxiety. And women will go over and over inside their minds what has happened. Whereas a man, it's an external problem. Let's just get on with it. Men tend to traditionally cope alone whereas women will seek social support. So how do all of these traditional cycles and patterns affect us in the work environment? Well, of course, for women, there's not always a social side to culture where they're gonna be able to connect with others, be it different girls, different females, or the men around them as well, because once the connection is made and we're starting to discuss something that's gone on in our past, then that social support can be provided by men or by women. So I find that often what I'm doing when I'm coming in to talk to an organization about their culture is there's some education around the way that these patterns or cycles can be down to just the difference between sexes, but they can also be our individual patterns too, that some people will have been raised in an environment where we don't talk about things like that, so it gets brushed underneath the carpet. Uh, and that's a real challenge for people in the generation 50s, 60s, 70s, where mental health was hugely stigmatized when we were younger people. And so it's become very difficult for people of that older generation to step out and talk about, even acknowledge personally that they have these patterns from their past. Thanks, Sam. That is yeah, so great to hear. Like Evan is saying that I remember seeing a guy talking about mental health and he stood up in front of the group and said, yeah, I have a mental illness. And the natural re reaction in me, which like you say, I learned from my parents was, oh God, don't say that where I realised he was breaking that stigma, he was changing those old patterns. 
Absolutely right. So we have stigma around things like alcoholism, stigma around situations which were to do with sexual abuse, and um, possibly as a child, but also the big Me Too phenomenon that came when there had been so many women, not necessarily in organizations, but in positions where there was a, an, a difficulty with power. It wasn't an equal power situation. And unfortunately, there were not only men, but a, certainly a large degree of men who abused that situation. And therefore, we had the whole challenge of how do we deal with this now? And some of the women that I'm talking to have still got these things from their past and they mm. are managing them silently while they're getting on with their professional lives. But because we're all running internal processes, it is still affecting how they do their professional work. And that's a difficulty for us all. It's something that we all need to address in a different fashion moving forwards. Absolutely. Thanks, Sam. Pleasure. Yeah, that was a, such a good answer, Sam. Once again, I just feel like I'm learning so much from each of these answers. So this is such a such a great... Uh, I'm so glad we have you here. Um, I might throw to Graham now. Graham, what was your question? Maybe a little bit behind uh, what why you chose it. Uh, before I jump into my question, I just wanted to acknowledge that somewhat ironically, uh, we started talking about... Uh, Sam talked about flexibility in the workplace. And uh, one of the things that struck me is that we have... Um, a disproportionate representation of of men in the um, on this podcast today, and I'm wondering whether we might need to introduce some flexibility into the scheduling for this. Because on on the one hand, whilst it's easy to have something at a set day and time of day every week, um, perhaps we can do better. Interesting. So my question, um, which sort of ties in well with Alan's, and I didn't know what Alan's question was, but it worked out well, was um, it's sort of based on unconscious biases. And this goes back again to one of the things that Alan pointed out, that um, uh, if we're looking for behavioural change in ourselves or in anyone, really, the first thing we need to do is to be aware that there's a particular pattern of behaviour that we have at the moment that isn't working or isn't appropriate or whatever. And um, acknowledging that as human beings, we generally have a lot of biases. Uh, I remember reading something from the Neuroleadership Institute a few years ago where they said, on average, somewhere between 60 and 65. We're weird people, let's face it, as human beings. <laughs> We're weird creatures. So my question was really, you know, what are some of the, in the work that you're doing, what are some of the, the common or the more common unconscious biases that you have noticed that are impacting women in the workplace? Um, and, and have there been one or two particular strategies that you found have been most effective to sort of bring the unconscious into the conscious so that people can start thinking and behaving in a different way? Awesome. I would say straight away that the easiest way to bring any unconscious bias out into the environment is simply to talk about it. That's how we, we get things started. So communication, on top of flexibility, communication is probably the word I use most in all the work that I do. But it's really for, for women, age can be a huge challenge. I'm not saying that it isn't a challenge for men, but for women, once they start to physically age, it becomes something that we're going to worry about whether there's going to be a family status that could suddenly become apparent and therefore have an effect on the work that they're going to do. Are they going to need to do too much mothering? Um, are they going to be actually falling pregnant in the workplace and therefore going to have to be replaced? 
And that, although we certainly do talk about flexibility, it's not the thing that um, companies who are with a smaller team of people really want to have to face. So age can be a real difficulty for women, but appearance in general, when we're talking about stereotypes, we know that we're not just speaking men versus women. There's a whole range of diversity that comes up. So when speaking appearance, you could be talking about color, you could also be talking about sexuality, LGBTQI, and whether a woman actually portrays that in the way that she dresses could necessarily bring about an unconscious bias in the people that she's working with. The authority that she's deemed to have because she's female rather than male. I won't be the first person to mention, I'm sure, the inequality in pay that women suffer for yep. doing exactly the same role as men. So can you believe what really shocked me when I was doing a little bit of research today was that actually both men and women, when it comes to interviewing candidates for a role, both of them have a preference to take a male into the business. In fact, a male is more likely, one and a half times more likely than a woman to actually be brought in as a new candidate. So these are silent and unconscious biases that impact not just women, but men too. Because one of the things that happens is that we end up with less women in organizations and we end up with less well-qualified or less experienced women in organizations. They're not given the same opportunities as men of a similar status. And, and I find all that personally quite upsetting, which is why I haven't worked in the corporate world as an employee for the last 18 years, and why my husband consistently reminds me I'm probably unemployable nowadays. <laughs> That's not necessarily a bad thing, Sam, to be honest. Um, unemployable in the corporate space, uh, not necessarily a bad thing. But uh, that, and thank you for, the, for your response too. Um, as Jez said, you know, there are so many threads, so many uh, opportunities to expand on that. But I, I, so one of the things that came to mind is that the, you know, the statistic around um, women will tend, who are interviewing people for a position are more likely to select a male over another, uh, another woman. In itself, I'm curious as to what's behind that, because that also sounds like a, an ingrained bias that, has been driven into them over time because of the their experiences in, in workplaces. Absolutely. And if we think about how women first came into the workplace, that it was back, um, certainly in, in my history in England, it was wartime when all yep. men went off to war and there was nobody to, to man the munitions um, building. And women were brought in because we absolutely had to have somebody working. But when the men returned from the war, women were expected to go back home and look after the family and simply having stepped up to step back without there being any over um, or any any kind of other way that a woman could work. And so we still have women still subconsciously have the challenge themselves and those women who are out there looking for leadership roles that they may not necessarily be good enough. Have we all heard of imposter syndrome? Mm, yeah. 
and it's not just something that befalls men and it certainly is something that often befalls women. One of the things I deal with a lot when I'm dealing with ladies who've got silent trauma is what that does to them and how their confidence, their self-esteem happens at work, that it actually will put them onto a path that takes them away from promotion rather than towards it. So it's, it's really quite upsetting when you start to look at how women personally can feel disempowered at work, that women will often work harder than men. And we're talking sometimes doubling up the hours that they're doing, which leads to burnout problems, leads also to disengagement. And we're, so we're working against ourselves, which is just so hard. And the only way for this to move forward is for us to communicate about it, to get this out there and talk. You know, when we were speaking earlier about the fact that stigmatization meant that certain challenges were not brought into the public eye, I believe now that we've had the pandemic and that women have faced a disproportionate burden coming back into the working space, that is now the time for us to be start having these conversations. And I actually consciously use the wording of a workspace rather than a workplace because work is not just about a physical location. Yep. It's about the possibility for us to work in different, flexible, new ways that hopefully are going to benefit women, particularly when I believe there's been a huge disadvantage for them during the pandemic. Nice. Thanks, Sam. I appreciate yeah. that. Awesome. Thank and again, yeah, I'm just going to reflect what Graham said. So many great threads coming off this that are just so fascinating. So I'm so glad we have you on today. I feel like I'm just learning so much and I'm loving it. Um, and I might just, uh, because I think this question is quite related, I'm going to ask Kanika's question. And she asked, what are some unseen problems that women might face in the workplace? Because I think that kind of is also a little bit what we're talking on, but it's a good extra question, I think, there. Yeah, absolutely. So I've mentioned already the inequality of salary. It can even be an inequality of role definition. So two women, sorry, two women, two people, one woman, one man, are brought into organizations to do the same role, but the woman has a different definition for her role than the man does. And I find that that in itself is a worry. We also have the fact that internally, because everybody functions individually, that the perceptions of women in the workplace, so the perception of a female boss by her male colleagues and her female colleagues could actually be different. So perceptions are highly individual and it's a real challenge, the way that we create our perceptions because they come from our own previous experiences, they come from our own previous learnings but they also come from all of these unconscious biases and stereotypes that have rolled down generation to generation. So I have one child who is female and I have three children who are male and my boys are older than my little girl. And so I've taught my boys that they have to be very, very strong at work. They have to go out, they have to do what a man does traditionally, that's good but that they also need to be open to the fact that every relationship should actually have equality in there and that a woman doing the same role, the same function in a similar working space is at the same level and should be treated 
still respectfully, but in a similar way. And I think it's really important, especially for my little girl, that she gets a really positive role model of what women can go out and do, but that she also sees her brothers and her dad actually promoting females in the working space so that she understands the world is her oyster. Because I do believe that the generations that are following us now need that lift if we're going to reach an environment where women and men are on a more equitable footing. Yeah, love that. Yeah, and uh, I think that's that's going to come into my question as well at the end there, talking about um, what, what are the benefits across uh, more equality just generally. But I do want to get to John's question quickly. Uh, so, John, do you want to let us know what is your question and why did you uh, choose it? Yeah, sure. So, Sam, one of the things that struck me about the whole conversation you've been talking about um, and from the when you first started speaking was around that cultural change and how I guess we're lagging a lot further behind than I would have given the workplaces credit for. So, you know, and you've talked about people coming back, women coming back into the workforce, having, you know, the unseen trauma or or just coming back into the workforce. How do, how do you cope with that? How do you, what are some of the, the strategies to, to help with that? Because if we've still got cultural biases from, you know, as you said, the Second World War, you know, that was 75, 80 years ago. That's a hell of a long time to be hanging on to those biases and still having to deal with, um, with moving forward. So how do you cope? Well, it's really interesting, John, because some cultures, some organizations don't want to. They actually just want to keep things the same. How many of us find that when an organization seems to be working well, it's the whole let's not um, upgrade our wheel because everything is working as it should. But the more forward thinking organizations are actually starting to consult experts in culture and asking how could we do this differently? I think the pandemic has broken a lot of things and it's created a huge amount of fear, angst, anxiety, and there's a lot of challenges now with how everybody is coming back into their working space. So many difficulties with people just trying to get their heads in the right space to come back, but also get their teams in that right space too. So we've got productivity challenges, we've got sales issues, we've got pipelines of items that are supposed to be being delivered that are stuck somewhere in the supply chain. There's a whole lot of difficulties happening. So culture isn't necessarily the first thing that people are thinking of. But when they can't get their teams back into operation quickly, when the productivity is suffering, and then I'm able to talk to people and say, well, you know, you do have an opportunity here to actually, if you look at the neuroscience behind trust, raise productivity by up to 76%, wow. according to exactly, according to the neuroscientist leading the work on trust, Paul J. Zak one of my favorite professors in that field. So once we start linking culture back to the issues that people are seeing in their workspaces, then people are opening up their eyes. So once we are hearing that we've got so many burnout issues and we look at the statistic of how we can um, actually reduce burnout, same thing, neuroscience can drop burnout by 40%. That's an amazing stat. Yeah. If we look at how we've got 
people expressing stress and we want to reduce their stress in the workplace, up their satisfaction. Again, there are statistics around those. I'm still quoting from Paul's work, 74% less stress, 106% more energy at work. Now, when you start bringing those statistics into an environment that at the moment has not actually got what it wants, they start listening to what could be done. And that's when we can address the fact that there are some stereotypes out there mm. and it might just be a new approach that could turn things around. Um, I'm also a big fan of Adam Grant, um, who is an organizational psychologist specializing in workspaces. And some of the work that's coming out from him at the moment as well, super, super interesting. So I think it's, it's important to find what it is that will make people listen to a new idea, a new perspective. And the way that that tends to be is when they've got an issue. So in, in work, it's what is your issue? Is your issue around lack of productivity? Is it around dropped sales? Is it around the fact that, you know, we've heard about this, everybody leaving the, the, the big departure from work. So we're having problems with retention. What is it? Well, actually, when we start looking at corporate culture, when we start looking at neuroscience, there are ways that this can be addressed. Brand new stuff that a lot of people are not aware of. So I think it's quite exciting times. And the pandemic has broken a lot, but opened up the way for us to bring some new opportunities into working spaces. Yeah, well, wow. okay. Thank you for that. I, I, that trust um, statistic you threw out there is just amazing that um, you know you you increase the trust of your staff and I mean it's it seems very very natural you increase trust people are going to to give more so exactly I began working with trauma and mm -hmm. when I looked at what was the opposite of trauma it was like oh well to me that seems like trust is the way to go and so the more that I dig into and deepen my own expertise in trust the more I think this is actually what people really need to be hearing about. The trauma is what we're seeing now. Yep. The trust and how we get back to it is what needs to come. Which is very hard to do if you've been through trauma, whether it's whatever abuse. So how do you get back to that trust and, and how do you earn that trust from other people? It's so true. One of the things I talk about all the time is that trauma leaves us with an inner division. It yep. leaves us feeling divided, feeling broken. And so we recover physically from trauma much more quickly than we're able to make the psychological mm. resolution. And mm. the psychological is what, how your thinking patterns and your feeling patterns are actually going to take you forwards. So learning to trust again is part of this. Yep. And that's how I, my first interest in trust came around. But then, as I say, once I started to understand that for businesses, this is also the way forward, it really opened my eyes to what else can be done. And I think that it's drawing me more and more back into the corporate space where people are really having these challenges that I've experienced with individuals with trauma, but on a much bigger basis, where you have all these individuals who are coming back into work and plopping the emotion down in the boardroom and nobody wants emotion at work 
We all want a solution. And I honestly believe that we need to start looking at culture and bringing in this new approach that's helping trust to flow through the organization. Because trust, of course, goes in so many different directions. It goes from the bosses down to the teams, from the teams up to the bosses, but it's also within each team. If I'm looking at the five of us here today, how much trust do we hold for one another? And that working across silos is one of the things that trust is able to help break down and improve moving forward. So there's so much it can do once we bring it into the cultural approach for businesses. Yeah, wow. Beauty. Thank you very much, Sam. Absolute pleasure. Wow. And yeah, thanks again. Thanks again for that answer there, Sam. So good. And you've really, it's so interesting as we're putting all these different threads together, all these different questions, all these different answers that you bring and that great resignation thing that you were talking about before. It's starting to make sense because we were talking about stubborn businesses that aren't adjusting their culture. And then sometimes you can have the option to go to a place where it's better. So, you know, why wouldn't you, I guess, to some degree. And then you get all that extra energy when you work somewhere else, like what you're saying. It's just amazing. And it's reminded me a little bit, like all this stuff, how it's been broken. It's reminded me a little bit that all this stuff is very malleable. I think we all feel a lot better about dealing with people that are sick and don't want to come into work now than we were in 2019. You know, now that's much more of a reason to not come into work and do everything from home. So there are ways we can obviously still change stuff and it doesn't really matter. But I guess uh, sort of to put a bow on the end of everything and uh, a nice little uptick at the end, what are some benefits of putting resources and energy behind making a more equal work environment? All right. So I think the benefits are for everyone. I often love to refer to the fact that businesses are just better when they have women involved, because I talked about the necessity for a caring culture. Women do this much more naturally than men do. Women are drawn to placing others in front of themselves, placing lesser priority on themselves and placing others higher. And this tends to mean that when you have women who are in leadership roles, they will bring others up through the organization. They will attribute to others when ideas have come out of unexpected spaces. So I think there's huge, huge benefits to everybody when we bring a caring female and we elevate her through the organization. Of course, when we talked about the great resignation, the difficulty that we have is that the whole pandemic has made people reassess their purpose, their meaning, what they're here for. And if their work currently doesn't fit that, they are moving on to something else that does. So it benefits us all when we have people in a working environment who are committed to the purpose of their organization. And I really feel that although it looks fairly, fairly difficult at the moment with people dropping out and issues with the detention and, and how are we dealing with people, I think there's lots that we can work on moving forwards. If we think about the fact, Jez, you just mentioned that we, we allow people to be sick and to heal themselves before they come back to work. And we're certainly more open to that opportunity now. But are we also allowing people to deal with the fears that they're having? And I think this is what a caring culture does. It addresses not just people being sick, but people having that divided feeling of, 
I actually want to go into the office and do the job I was doing previously, but I'm so worried about maybe catching the illness, maybe how I'm going to be received. Personally, I remained unvaccinated during the pandemic. And so it's that whole question of how am I going to be received because I apparently haven't done my bit. But of course, if we look at the fact that everybody has got a contribution to make in a working environment, I believe that the flexibility we spoke about earlier, the caring culture, the trust factor allows people to do whatever it is that they do, bring their whole selves and give what they have to give in an environment that's going to work better for us all. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. That's a great answer as well. Uh, I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I'll just go quickly around and just uh, get everyone's final thoughts and then we'll wrap it up with you. But thank you so much, Sam. So, so good. Um, Graham, any final thoughts on uh, our topic today, creating better work environments for women or even just the chat we've had today? Uh, yeah, 45 minutes is nowhere near enough time. We need to turn this into like a Netflix series that we can binge um for the next five years but uh just amazing content sam thanks so much for for sharing um one the biggest question for me i guess is is where do we start um one of the old corporate cliches is around how a fish rots from the head down and i I'm, so just is culture influenced more by people at the top than it is by those at the bottom, in which case that's where we need to be addressing more of our efforts in terms of getting them to think and behave differently around things like flexibility. And uh, and there's so much research out there that backs up the fact that when we have people in, uh, when we have more more women in, in senior positions within organisations, the organisations perform better. So yeah, look, we could go on forever, but it's been amazing. So grateful that um, you shared this with us. So thank you. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for that, Graham. And uh, thanks for everyone's questions, by the way. All great questions and great answers from Sam there. So thanks so much. John, uh, any final thoughts on creating better work environments for women or just the chat today? Oh, look, I, I found that amazing, Sam. Um, very, very dense. And I agree with Graham. You know, you could, uh, 45 minutes does not do this this topic or or your your um, professionalism or your background, any, any justice whatsoever. You know, I've Thank you. Um, and even just talking to you was just amazing. I definitely agree. Thanks for that, John. Uh, Alan, any final thoughts on creating better work environments for women or just the chat today? Um, yeah, I guess one um, standout for me to try and pick one out of all that was that the biases, it's not just men that have the biases, women have the, the biases as well. That was a, a real surprise for me. Right? And thank you very much, Sam. You've given me a lot to think about today. Awesome. Yeah. And um, Sam, I'll also get your final thoughts on creating better working environments for women or just the chat today as well. I've had so much fun, guys. Thank you so much for welcoming me. It's lovely to speak with people who are interested in this subject because, as I say, we're at the forefront of it. And so we're really helping other people. And as exactly as Graham says, from the, the fish rotting from the head down, we need to get there to the top, to those who think that they are leading amazing organizations, but we can always all still do better. 
Awesome. Well, I want to thank you so much today, Sam. And uh, just quickly before you go, where can people find you? If they've loved this chat and they want to hear more from you, where can they find you? Um, I'm um, So my business name is Happy Nessence. And so it's, it comes from the essence of happiness. So simply jump online and catch me at happynessence.co.nz. Obviously, across all the lovely social media platforms. I also have my own podcast, which is called, um, what is it called? <laughs> For a moment, though, I kind of remember the name of my own podcast. And so I do behavioral work on the podcast, just a short message that comes out each week. And at the moment, I'm writing a book. So we're soon to be on bookshelves everywhere. Awesome, awesome. And I'll include all those in the description of this podcast so you can go find them wherever you are. Sam, I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast. Everyone else, I want to thank you all for great questions and having uh, and just really engaging in a great conversation. I've learned so much. Like everyone said, it's been really, really dense. I'm going to have to listen back through it and really take some more notes. But I want to thank everybody. And as always, have a magical week.